This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we're walking through the book of James. Using this book as a guide, we learn several ways our faith is tested and how God has designed for us to endure. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. I just want to cover verse 1 because it is so critical that we know who we are. It's so critical that we know who we are. And I want to go through three stages of, of identity that James actually displays in that first verse. He's, he's telling us something about himself in that first verse. And so you really have to pay attention to see it because we have a tendency to read scripture and just read over certain things that seem to not have weight or value. But everything that God allowed to be written was written for a purpose. And so the title of my message is Learning from James because we're going to continue in a series. We're going to go through the entire book of James. And the title of the message today is Who Are You? If somebody were to ask you that question, I'm sure they would, you would come up with uh, several things that you may tell them. You may tell them who your mother and father is. You may tell them where you are from. You may tell them something else about who you are. But today we want to go through who we are. And beginning with James 1 and 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, this is James writing a letter to the people, to the people of God. You might have to help me, Marcus. And the first thing I want to do is I want to cover some things about the book of James, okay? So it was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, not not an apostle, not the apostle James, but James, the half-brother of Jesus. And according to what theologians say, it was written one of the first books of the New Testament, 44 to 49 A.D. after Jesus had died. So it is one of the first books that was written in the Bible. And then the book of James is unique in the way it's written because James is not writing as an apostle or a prophet. He's writing as a pastor. He's writing as a pastor. So you should see in the book of James a, a pastor's heart. So, and he starts by giving us an introduction, and his introduction gives us a, a, an overview of what this book is going to be about, and he tells us that the entire letter is going to be about the testing or the trying of our faith. See, if you, you remember James 1, greeting my brother, for James, a servant of the Lord, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's agreed to my brother. He said, and then he goes on to tell us what the book is going to be about. He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith is working something out for you. So he's telling them that it, I'm, I want to talk to you about testing. And then he moves into a discussion that tells us there's going to be at, at least nine different specific tests of our faith. And finally, he concludes like a pastor would. 
He, he comes to the end of his book and he concludes with a way for those in the church to restore those who have failed the test because every one of us know that not every day, all the time, we're going to pass the test. If you think you pass them all, then you need to come up here and we're going to pray for you because something is drastically wrong with you. Something seriously wrong with you if you think that you never fail. Amen. The Bible said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek after God. There's none that, that pursue him. I know we think we pursue God, but I want to let you know something, that God, if you look at, at, at the book of Genesis, you'll see in Genesis who is being pursued. Adam had been hidden. He, he did what God told him not to do. And then when God came down to meet him at the place that they normally meet, guess what? Adam wasn't there. So what did God do? God pursued Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, God didn't ask him that because he was confused or wondering where he was. He asked that question so Adam would consider where he was. God knows everything. So if you think you've not failed, then you're wrong because every one of us failed. And here are the three things. Identity in the world. His name was James. Identity in the Lord, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the third one, identity in the church, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So you see his connection to the world, to Jesus, and to the church, okay? So what we're going to do this morning is let you, do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? And maybe you don't know. But that's what we want to demonstrate and talk about this morning. Who are you? What is your identity? Okay? So, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Might be better off. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So, we're going to look at the three aspects of identity. The first aspect of your identity is your identity in the world. Your identity in the world. Your name, your name is how you're known by the world. It tells the story of your reputation. You might have a reputation. See, you might be like me. You might have a reputation that you have to live up to. Or you may have lived a life like me where you got a reputation that you want to live down. <laughs> See, I fit in both categories. There's a life that I've lived and people have high expectations of me. They look for the best in me. But there are some people who knew me before I knew Jesus, and they know the worst of me. And so, I got one I need to live up to, and I need the one I need to live down. So, so who was James? What was his identity in the world? Well, James came from a good home. We can determine that, right? Because his mother and father was Mary and Joseph. He came after Jesus. And if he was Mary's and Joseph's son, then he had to come from a good home because God actually chose these two to be the mother and the father of his son. So they had to have some morals and values and standards and principles that they lived by. And they, he had to have a good upbringing. But... He had a good education. 
There are a few ways we can know this. Theologians say that James actually spoke the finest of Greek language. And if you were to compare him to Peter, it would be like comparing Shakespeare to the, the local newspaper. If you compare Peter and James. So he was that, he was, we could see from that that he was well educated. He was well educated. He had a good upbringing, he's well educated, and had good common sense. And how many folks know that a, a good education don't necessarily mean you got good common sense? No offense to those that are well educated. But my mama used to say, my brother, my, bro, my brother is very smart. I, I missed the smart bus, I guess, and, and jumped on the other little short one that go to school every day. But he's very smart, very smart. And my mama used to say, that boy is as smart as they come. But he has no common sense. I don't know what he was doing to make her say that. But she said he has no common sense whatsoever. In other words, he might do trigonometry and calculus and all these other high things. But she said when it, it's almost like she said when it comes down to two plus two, he don't know what to do. So, so people who have education and no common sense, they make simple things complicated. You know, a lot of times when I'm at work, they speak in, I, you know, when I first took my first supervisor's job at Brigham Stratton, they were speaking in code. They was talking about all these letters, you know, PLC, SPC. I'm like, I'm sitting in the room like, will y'all please speak English? Because I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And, but if you can tell a person that has both because they make the complicated things simple. They're not trying to keep certain people in the dark by making simple things complicated. And, and, and as, I, as I learned what all these terms meant, that was simple terms that they could have used all the time where everybody could understand. When God called me to preach, after some years of preaching, I actually prayed and asked God, God, give me an ABC gospel. I don't want to be up here where you got to go home and look in a dictionary to know what I said. Because most folks are not going to go look at the dictionary and know what I said. The gospel needs to be so simple that the simplest person in the room can understand what's being said. If it's not, we're missing the mark. Amen. So, James had both. He had common sense because it shows in the simple illustration that he used. When he talked about the tongue, he talked about fire, he talked about a horse's bit, he talked about a bridle, he talked about a ship's rudder. So what James did, James took what would have been complicated and brought it to a level where the average person could understand. He put it in a language, he put it where the man, the sailor could look at it and say, the rudder on a ship. He said, my tongue like a rudder on the ship. In other words, this big ship is controlled by this little thing. He took it out on the farm where the man in the country could say, man, oh yeah, this 9, 1,200, 1,600 pound horse is controlled by this little thing in his mouth. And then he took it out to California where they saw the fires in California. He said, man, how great a little, a small, smart spark can create such a great fire. 
And he said, your tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. He said, now that thing can burn down a whole nation. So he was, he was good at it. So he was educated, but he also could speak with common sense. And he, okay, now he had a good upbringing, good education, common sense. He had a really good brother. Now think about it. His big brother was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So he had a good brother. He had a real good brother. And, 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 and he had all the benefits of the world, good home, good education, good common sense, good brother. He was as close to Jesus as any man who walked on the earth. Thinking about being growing up with Jesus. Growing up with him. But guess what? Out of all those things, James was lost. James was lost. So I'm going to tell you now, don't get confused when people come from a good home and people do all that, got all this education and all these things and all this stuff. They can have all of this and still be lost. How many folk realize that you can have children raised in a preacher's family and those are the ones that stray the most? Nobody rides salvation on somebody else's salvation. John P. Key said this a few years ago in a song that he wrote. He said, you must see Jesus for yourself. You know, the Bible says now, if I got an unbelieving wife or unbelieving husband, that spouse can cover that other spouse. Those children can come under a covering, but they only cover it so that they can meet Jesus for themselves. Not for a lifetime. How do we know that James didn't believe? Because it says in John 7, 5, for neither did his brethren believe in him. His own brothers didn't believe in him. Also in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it said that when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Even, even though the King James says friends, it really means family. And you got to know that Jesus' family, they tried to grab hold of him because they thought he was what? Yeah, you, got, you had to think this guy's crazy. I mean, James, James looking at Jesus, and G, here Jesus is talking about his father in heaven. And James looking around, you know, their dad over there. What is this guy talking about? And then he's standing up there talking to James and, and telling them about, he, James listening in on some of the conversations that he had with the Pharisees, and, and he said, I seen Abraham. Man, Abraham been dead. Where you seen him at? I can see how Jesus could say, you know, how James could look at Jesus and, and his mama look at him, and, but his mama should have known a little different, but, and his daddy should have known a little different, but sometimes we can get lost in what, what's going on and what's happening, because sometimes when God speaks something, we think it's going to turn out different than what it does. You know, when, when, when God said he's going to be the savior of the world, you would automatically, some folks automatically think that, man, people are going to gravitate to him. They're going to love him, but they didn't realize they were going to hate him. Or they were going to want to kill him. They didn't realize that Jesus was speaking from another world and he was speaking in this world and when he spoke, he sounded like a nut. And so they, his family literally thought he was crazy. So James had every benefit in the 
world still didn't recognize Jesus for who he was. He still didn't know him for who he was. So whatever your name is, whatever kind of upbringing you had, whatever kind of education you had, whatever kind of common sense you have, however cl close you physically been to God's people in his church, none of that really matters. Amen. None of that is going to save you. I can, go in the, I can go in the hospital and put on a white coat and a stethoscope, but don't let me operate on you. It don't make me a doctor. I can put on a, t I can put on a shirt that says ASC certified and get by, buy me a toolbox this big, but pull your car in and you're going to see I don't know how to fix nothing. I can hang around people that know God, but guess what? I can still die without him. I can still die without him. You know, a preacher said this to me when I first started working at Briggs. He and I were working together. We were janitors. And, and, and he said, man, there's a, there's a thousand ways to go to hell. And I don't understand for the life of me why I go through the church to get there. He said, I don't understand for the life of me. Why go to church to go to hell? I'm going to tell you something. If I decide to go to hell, that'll be the last day y'all see me. It'll be the last. When I decide that I'm going to hell, I'm going in style. Now, it, now well, let me rephrase that. It won't be the last time you see me because I'm going to be on the news. <laughs> I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to be the guy that robbed the fuck. Well, Fargo truck. I'm going to be the guy that broke in some mansions. I'm going to be the guy that shot that crazy governor. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. If I decide to go to hell, I'm not coming in here and play with y'all. I'm going in style. I'm going to do it. If it pop in my mind, you better not be around. So, None of that will give you right standing before God and a right relationship with him. It didn't for James, and it won't for you. The bottom line is James' identity in the world is that he was what? Lost. He was lost. How can you be lost raised with Jesus? How can you be lost raised with him? I'm telling you, see, this ought to help us to see how serious it is and how fine the line is. Amen. There's a lot of folks sitting somewhere thinking they saved and they're not saved. There's a lot of folks sitting in church think they saved and ain't saved. Somebody better shake them and wake them. So, the second aspect of your identity is your identity in the Lord. How does James identify himself next? He says, he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? He, he is identified by his relationship to the Lord, and he describes it, that, that relationship. He says he was what? A slave. A slave. Slavery was common in that day. It was common in that day. Two kinds of slavery. 
The kind we always think of when you bought, sold on an auction block, captured in battle, made a slave, and the one that's forced to serve. Forced to serve. And then you got the other, the other, other meaning. One that was born into slavery, a person willingly continued in slavery. Two different people. And I'm going to say this to you. Everybody that gives their life to Christ, and even if you have not, you need to understand that you are a slave. You're a slave. We're slaves to the devil before we give our life to Christ. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he said, Know ye not that you are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your spirit and in your body with your God. So in other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sin of the world. He bought all mankind back. All of us was on the auction block. Me and my wife laugh about it because she liked to read slavery books and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and they, they say they used to take those, those big, burly black guys and they would take them and they would put a, they would, they would take fat back meat, fat back meat, fat back meat. I got it. Okay. And they would rub it around his mouth to make it look like he had been eat, eating meat so he'd be worth more on the auction block. He was on the auction block. And she'll tell me, she'll, she'll tell me, don't, don't, don't keep acting crazy. Now, I'll rub your mouth with some fat back meat and put you on the auction block. Don't get crazy now. Don't get crazy. Don't, 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 don't lose your mind. <laughs> so they understood what he meant because they remembered Deuteronomy 15, verse 12 and 17. And let me give you an overview of what that says. Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 17, it actually talks about he said, if your slave has served you for six years, in that seventh year, you have to release him. And it says, now listen at this. And this, I think this is where, this where, this where uh, black people got reparation from. They, they said, they said uh, don't allow him to leave without giving him some of your stuff. Make sure he got plenty when he leaves. And then it says, in the next verse, it says, now, if he chooses to stay. Now, nah, let me back up. It said, before it said that, it said this. It said, now, remember that you yourself was once a slave because they came out of Egyptian bondage. So he said, now, you remember that you yourself was once a slave. And you know what? That spoke volume to me because every one of us has been a slave and to a certain degree, some of y'all still got a couple shackles on you. Yeah. I mean, whether it's a slave to sugar, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I, got, I got the sugar shackle on me, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I want something sweet right now. So, you know, we need to remember, when we look at other people, and we see them bound by something, we need to remember that you yourself was, and to a certain degree, still is, bound by something. And so we have to remember that. And then he said in that last 
you're going too fast, Marcus. They're going to get ahead of me because they're not going to pay attention to me. They're going to try to go, they're going to try to be paying attention to what's up there. I thought you Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> let, me, let me see. Let me see. Let, let's get us a signal together. <laughs> no, don't do it, but that's the signal. That's, that's it. That's it right there. So, yeah, they're they going to be reading this and I'm trying to tell them something else and we're we going we to be all messed up. So, anyway, we got a, we got a, they, they, he, he, he said, he said, now you yourself was once a slave and you need to remember that. You need to remember that you were a slave. And then he says, now if your, your servant loves you and wants to stay with you, it said, take an owl and stick it in his ear. I, I don't understand this part, but it said drive it to the doorpost. I, I don't know what that means. I, it seemed like they could pierce his ear without driving it on the doorpost, but anyway. And that would be the mark that he would be your servant forever because he want to stay. And you know what? That was the kind of servant James called himself. He said, my body is permanently marked as a willing slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he was able to say the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know what? It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that he never called Jesus his brother. He said, James, a servant, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he used the word Lord in capital letters which actually means he's sovereign, and it also means he is the owner. In other words, he's saying, man, this man owns me. What a change. What a change. That's why he was able to say, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> so how did that happen? What transformed him from calling Jesus Christ and being offended and to calling him Lord. What transpired? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2 through 7 says, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. We don't went too far. Okay, okay. For, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brethren and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, and look at this. Then he appeared to who? James. James. Then to all the apostles. Now, you know that he's not talking about James the apostle because he said to James and then to the apostles. He appeared to his brother. And that's what made James a dedicated believer. 
I would have loved to have heard that conversation between James and his big brother. I would have loved to have heard what Jesus said to make him come from calling him crazy to calling him Lord. To make him not be, and I'm sure the little, let's see, Jesus would have been his big brother. So I can see him being a servant to his big brother because I remember when I was a kid, my brother used to like to hit golf balls. We live right in front of the cemetery, so they would hit the golf ball. And you know, guess what my job was? Go get the ball. <laughs> Way out there, and by the time I got it and got back, guess what? They just hit another one. <laughs> so I can see him serving his brother. I can see the servant part. Okay, so that's how it happened. James saw the resurrected Jesus. No longer was he just his physical brother. No longer was he weird and crazy in, in performing miracles. No, no longer was he offensive. He was now his Lord. The fence of the cross that turned the fellowship and freedom in Christ. He had been saved. James had been saved. Now, the third aspect to your identity in your, your identity is your identity in the church. We know who James was before he was saved. We know that God saved him, but what did he save him to do? Let's stop right there. How many folk really know what God saved you to do? Now, a lot of folk get saved, and, and then they get heavenly-minded, and then most folks heavenly mind, so heavenly-minded that there's no earthly good. They, they, they're no good to nobody on the earth. You know, they, all they think about is heaven. Because if God saved you to take you to heaven, he would have saved you, and then would've, he would have killed you. But because he left you here, he saved you for a reason and for a purpose. Amen. He saved us for, for, to do something. So for those of you here who are saved, do you ever ask that question? What did God save me to do? What did he save me to do? Rest assured, if you're saved and you're still here, he's got a purpose for you. he got something for you to do. Rest assured, he has something for you to do with his church. Now, you know, it's, it's so weird. It's, people are weird this day and time. You run across all kind of people that say they believe in God, but they don't go to church nowhere. We'll get to that. When the Lord saves you, he gives you certain gifts. He expects you to use those gifts in service to him. And let me say this to you. The gifts of God are not, they are to be used to edify the church, but they're not bound to the four walls of the church. And this is what I mean. God called me to be a pastor, and guess what? I'm a pastor at work. You'd be amazed at how many folks walk up to me and say, will you pray for my daddy? Will you pray for me? I got this going on. I just need somebody to talk to. My job, people don't understand the, the, the ministry of actually being a pastor. Men have made it into being where the pastor is to sit up somewhere and be treated like a king and to be served. But they don't understand, my job is to serve. It's to serve. It is not to be served. Jesus said, if anyone among you want to be great, he said, let him do what? Let him serve. Let him serve. My job is not for you to come up here. You know, I was in a church one, one time 
and the preacher was standing up there praying. He's praying. And there's a guy standing right beside him with a handkerchief wiping the sweat off of him. I said, man, quit playing. Come on, man. Come on, man. I done, man, I'm going to tell you, I done seen some stuff now. I seen, you know, we seen them at, you know, the church wasn't even big as this room right here. And they walking around with these little earbuds saying like secret service, like they finna bring in the president. You know, we were looking like, you know, you know, I don't know whether they were using cold names or what, you know, bring in white dove through the writer. And they have about two doors. I mean, come on, man, they were too white, they didn't come in. I seen preachers, man, where they don't carry their own Bible. They call them armor bearers. Call them armor bearers. Do y'all know what an armor bearer is? Yep. An armor bearer was a person that carried the, 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 the king's armor in battle. He had a shield that was, man, this big and this wide. He had a spear. He probably had a sword. He had some other stuff he had to carry. He needed an armor bearer. Do I need one to carry this? Really? I'm telling you, people have made preachers kings. Let me, let me bring them down for you. Let me bring them down for you. When I got up this morning, I did not jump out of my bed and my pants were not hanging on a nail and I jumped in them. I put them on one leg at a time. Just like every other person in this room. We need to stop treating men as though they are God. I am not God. I don't have no more access to God than you do through the name of Jesus. You can call him just like me. Wherever you are, whenever you need him, you can call him just like the greatest preacher. These preachers, you know, some of them they got, they, say, they claim to have all this anointing. I remember one time I was in Lowe's and I, I met the pastor of a particular church and I spoke to him and I he, I said, what are, what, how, how's it going? He said, I'm trying, to, trying my best to keep this anointed on me. <laughs> okay. And you know, for years, I, after I started preaching, for years I, I thought about, you know, how am I going to keep this anointed on me? Yeah. And I realized it was just a hoax. If God don't give you the anointing, you can't get an anointing. You can't keep what on you, what God ain't put on you. If God don't anoint me, then it is done. It's over. So, when the Lord saves you, give you certain gifts, he expects you to use those gifts in service to him. The gifts he gives you aren't for you. They are for the building up of the body, the church. Remember what Jesus said. He said, he said, you are my bride, you are my body, and you are my building. Okay? My gifts are different from yours. Your gifts are to build me up, and mine are to build you up. If, if everything works, think about my body now. Think about my, my, my body. My body works together in unison. My brain is actually telling my hands now to do what I'm doing. 
My brain is actually sending signals to my mouth, my esophagus, and my, my voice box, and all that. And it's working for me to be able to speak. All of it's working together, and I'm walking all at the same time. My brain, my brain pretty busy right now. I'm doing a lot of stuff. And see, that's how the body of Christ is, work, is supposed to work. Because see, my hands, you know, unless I lose my hands, I'm not, I, I look crazy trying to sit somewhere with a chicken leg between my toes. Now, I probably could feed my wife with a chicken leg between my toes. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's try that when we get home. Let's see how that work out. Anyway. Your gift, your, your gift. You know what? At one point in time, my wife had surgery on her shoulder, you know. She had sur surgery on her, on, her, on her shoulder, and she couldn't do nothing. She couldn't do nothing. She couldn't do nothing. Her sister had to help her. She, she couldn't do absolutely nothing. And so when it was time to eat, you know, she, I, I felt like the big bird coming to the nest. She was like. <laughs> she, she, couldn't, she couldn't even raise her arm and feed her own self, you know. And that's when I should have had that chicken leg in my toes. I bet she would have ate it then. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord, that verse. So how did God gift James? He gifted him to be a pastor. He gifted him to be a pastor. And that's why he wrote this letter to them as they were scattered abroad. And God saved him. And you got to think about this. See, see, James was leading the church. He was leading thousands. He was leading thousands. And what happened was when, when, when Paul and the others got bold enough to kill Stephen, then persecution broke out in the church. And when it broke out, then the church was scattered. That's why he said, greetings, my brethren, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He's counted all joy when you fall into divers temptation. And so James was leading this church, and he was an awesome pastor because guess what? He was actually being responsible for more than what was in front of him. So God, say, God saves everyone to serve him by serving his church, and he might have blessed you with the gift of teaching. Teach the word. He might have blessed you with the gift of helps. Help in the context of, of church ministry. Bless you with the gift of preaching or encouragement or administration or mercy. However he's gifted you, you need to use his gift in his service. And like I say, it's not limited to the four walls of the church, but it is designated and especially for the church. So James would call camel knees because he spent so much time in prayer that his knees became calloused and his knees started to look like a camel's knees. I dare not raise my pants leg. And let me say this to you, though. Let me say this to you. Hold up, Mark. I, 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 I realized what I had done. Um, let me say this to you. There are some people who left this church years ago that I still pray for every day. Absolutely, just because just you ain't here, don't mean I say, choop, 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 yeah, still pray for them. I still pray for managers that left Briggs and Stratton years ago, been gone. I still pray for them. They're still on my heart. 
And that made me think about uh, Bobby. When I, met, when I met Abigail, Abigail came up here and I felt like a nut when she said it. She said, she said, she said my daddy prayed. She said, she asked me something about knowing her dad. And I said, who was your dad? She said, Bobby Freeman. And I'm, you know, only Bobby Freeman that come to my mind was the mayor of Opelika. And I said, I said, how many terms did your daddy serve? And then when I found out who her daddy was, I was like, oh, man, I need a hole in the floor to fall through. Yeah, I, I, because when I met her daddy, I, that's all I could think of. His name was Bobby Freeman, and we had a mayor at close around that time. His name was Bobby Freeman, so when she started talking about Bobby Freeman, I was like, I, I was thinking in the back of my mind, how does Bobby Freeman, I don't know, Bobby Freeman didn't know me. I'm thinking about the mayor. But I think it was an awesome thing that I encountered her daddy once, maybe twice, and this man prayed for me every day. Every day. Every, that's, how, that's how they knew me, because their daddy prayed for me. And I, and I, and I say, man, I, I know that God used people all over the world to pray for you, and you don't know they're praying for you. But to find out that this man met me once or twice, and he prayed for me every day, that is awesome. And I credit most of what I am to him praying for me because I, that, that's one person I know did. So he was called Camel Knees. So that's using your gift that God gave you to the fullest. That's using your gift. So how are you using the gifts God has given you? Are you too busy to serve him? Too distracted by all the business to serve him? Are you identified by all those things? When people think about you, do they think about all of the stuff in the world that you do? Because like I say, I, 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 we, we got a new plant manager, and I told him this week, I told, I told him when I met him, I told him I pastor a church, and I said, actually, you want to know the truth? I pastor all these people in this building. Everybody in this building. I'm, I, I, if they allow me to, I pastor all these people in this building. Don't I, Miss Becky? See? Miss Becky pastor showed up at the hospital. I was there. I came went to see her. But you were there. So are we doing what God gifted us and called us to do? Everything else that we do, Scripture calls those things wood, hay, and stubble. And I would not want to be identified by something that is going to be eventually burned up. Amen. You know, I say this again. I'm gonna keep. I'll keep saying it. Teaching is repetition until learning takes place. It's not what you do for Christ that's going to last. It's what Christ does through you that's going to last. There are a million people doing things and attaching Jesus' name to it, but he did not inspire them to do it. He's not working in them to do it. Because guess what? If I do something for Christ in my strength, in my power, I can go to him and say, hey, look what I did for you now. So he's not counting that. He's counting what he does through me. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ that's living in me. Amen. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live it by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus said, it's not me that do the work, but it's the Father in me that's doing the work. And see, every good thing that operates in and through us, God is doing it. That's what he receives. He's not receiving what I do because Matthew chapter 7 proves it. Have we not cast out many demons in your name? Have we not preached in your name? Have we done, not done all these wonderful things in your name? And Jesus looked at him and said, depart from me. I never knew you. Workers of iniquity. And so those things are going to be burned up. And that's why it is, it is a fine line of salvation in what we do for Jesus. It's a fine line. I want to identify myself with the things that James did. Serving God, serving his church. What about you? What about you? What is your identity this morning? Is it in the world? If it is, you need to see Jesus who it is. Turn from his sin. Believe him. Believe him this morning. Is your identity in the Lord, but not in the church? I, that's, that's what I said. We'll talk about that later. There's a lot of people that I've heard say, I am a Christian, but I do not go to church. How can that be? Jesus said he is what? The head of the body, of the church. He said the church is my bride. I'm coming back for her, which means he loves the church. He said it's my building. So how can you say you love God and don't love what he loves? Somebody's telling a lie. You cannot, you cannot say you love God and not love his church. You cannot say you love God and don't love his bride, don't love his body. It's impossible. So being a Christian means being a part of a church. It's a part of a body. He is the head of it. So are you active, living, working? Are you an active, living, and working part of the body? Or are you a limb that's hanging on? If you're here, you're saved. God has gifted you for service. He expects you to use his gift, the gifts he's given you. He expects that. He expects it. And if you're not saved, why don't you give your life to him today? Amen. If you're not saved, why don't you give your life to him today? Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Believe that he rose again. Believe that he is alive and interceding for you right now. Believe that he is who he said he was and he did what he said he did. Believe that. Believe it. Romans 10.9 says this. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, he said, thou shalt be saved. And then the next verse says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, he said, now, there's no way that you can just believe it in your heart without saying it out of your mouth. He said, actually, what happens is, when I, when I, when I believe it in my heart, the expression of my faith is what I speak out in words. I'm speaking it out into the spirit realm, into the live, the living realm. I'm making it a reality. 
I can remember when I first got saved and people would, you know, people would, people would steal people, like I was saying about living down a life and living up to a standard. I had people to say, you know, I was in, a, in the bathroom at the bakery one day and the guy looked at me, uh, he ain't nothing but old devil. That's what he looked at me and said. I just had, had me alone got saved. And I told, I looked at him, I told him, I said, hey man, let me tell you something. I said, that guy you talking about, I said on May 9th, 1984, 2.45 a.m. in front of Vermont American, that man died. I don't know what you're talking about. He died. He died. And I said, the man that you see, I've been born again. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new, and all things are of God. You can say whatever you want to say. You can call me whatever you want to call me. And that's why I say you got to know who you are. Who are you? You got to know who you are. You got to know who you are. You know, if somebody holler out in the crowd and say, fool, I ain't going to turn around. <laughs> I'm not looking back. Idiot. I'm not turning around. I might be all those things, but didn't know, my mama didn't name me that, and God ain't called me that. So, See, the problem with most of us, we answer to too many things. We answer the names that we shouldn't be answering to. You know what he called me? Don't answer. Just keep walking straight that way. Keep looking ahead. It's only, it only gets to be a problem when you say, what? You just prove to them you what they call you. Don't answer. I am not who you say I am. I'm not what you say I am. My abilities are not in what you say I can do. It's what God, that's what we got to get to. It's what God says about me. It's what God says I can accomplish and I can do. I can have. I can be. It ain't what my mama said. Now, it affected me to a certain point in my life, but it's not what she said that determines where I am. It's what you believe who said what. Now, that was a day, you know, my dad and my dad was a carpenter and man, he he went through some issues in his life. He had some problems in his life because he was abused as a child. He grew up, he, he was abusing me as a child. And, and, you know, he treated me as though I was stupid. And so for a long time, you know, I might have, you, you should have said stupid, I might have turned around. Because I literally, the way he treated me, he, I thought I was stupid. But my dad is one of those people, he didn't, he didn't teach you. He didn't teach you. You know, I'm here, I'm, I'm a nine-year-old kid, eight, nine, whatever I was, and he tell me, now in school, they're just teaching me what a square is. A square has four corners, right? Okay, so he tell me, go to the truck and get my square. So I go out to the truck. I'm scared to go back. She's going to hit me with something. So I'm scared to go back because I can't find that square with the four corners. So I finally, I know it's taking me too long, so I finally go back and I said, um, there ain't no square in the truck. It is a square in that truck. So he go out here, he go in the truck, he reach right on the seat, right where I can see it, get it, pull it out, and it's an L. See, a square in, con in, in construction is this. So I'm looking for four corners. 
And then I go back and I get treated like I'm an idiot because I didn't know what a square was, but he didn't take me to the truck and say, this is a square, this is a tri-square, this is a framing square, this is a miter saw, this is a hacksaw, this is a... He just expected me to automatically know. And, and, and you know what, when I had my stroke, I, was in, I, was, I went to therapy, and I'm gonna tell you this, everybody in here, just about all of us need to go to therapy. Just about everybody in here. I, I can tell you, you need to go to therapy. Cause, uh, <laughs> I'm serious, I went to therapy, man, and I realized, I re this man helped me. He gave me these two little things, put these two little things in my hand, they said when you sleep, your, your, your eyes or something go from one side to the other. So these little pulse things were supposed to make me get in sort of a sleep mode, and it's supposed to be where you can be free and express. So he, he, I did this thing, and I was sitting there, and man, I went back to the past, and I realized God showed me. He said, You're, you were not stupid. He let me see. It wasn't me. And see, that's why most of us need to go to therapy because we deal with some issues and stuff. And you think things that are totally wrong and crazy because you, was, you were raised before you were saved and, and they, were told, they told you were crazy, you were stupid, and you didn't know what you were doing and you weren't going to never have nothing, you weren't going to never be nothing. And they told you, you you were an idiot and they told you all that you were ugly and you told, you know, all this stuff they told you, you know. I think I was even called ugly, you know. I, I still believe that just a little bit, you know. I mean, I look at myself every day. But anyway, but uh, <laughs> I don't tell nobody that I think that I'm, you know, just, I just tell them I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous of thy works, oh God. God didn't make no mess. So, come to him now. He's waiting on you. God is waiting on you. He's waiting on you. It's so critical that we know who we are. James laid it out that we could be known in the world. We could be known, we could be known by who we are in the Lord. We could be known by who we are in the church. Most of us are still known by who we are in the world, and people still look at us as though we are that person in the world. You know, the hardest people, and, 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 and Jesus had... I won't say he had a task, but it is harder to convince your family of you being saved than it is anybody else because they've seen everything you've done. They know you. You know, it's hard for you to tell your family about something about God because in their mind they're thinking like, who do you think he's talking to? I remember when he used to do this. You know, so it is a miracle for me to see, to have two sisters sitting in this church that's, that know me, that know me. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a miracle, because most of the time you can't tell your family nothing. Can't tell, you can't tell them nothing. They, they, they still think you that same old whatever you were when you were coming up. So my, my challenge to you today is, is to know who you are. It's to know who you are. And don't let nobody tell you who you are. Don't let anybody define you. I'm telling you, I have to battle every day to fight those demons and spirits that tell you. And see, we respond based on how we, what we think we are and who we think we are. If you think you won't ever have nothing, you think you can't live on your own, stand on your own two feet, you think you can't, you can't survive, you, whatever it is that you think, 
You got to fight those demons that's telling you that you're a failure. That you're going to lose. That you're going down. That you're not going to make it. That is a lie. That's a lie from the pits of hell. And you got to acknowledge it as such. And you got to stand up. And I'm going to tell you something. I did so much talking to myself and talking out loud in the house. Man, it was, it was a good thing I was by myself because they, they would treat me like they treated Jesus. They said, man, got to be crazy. Got to be crazy. And I stood in, I stood in the room and, and, and say, I am not. I remember writing it down. I remember you reading it one time. I am not who they say I am. I am not who you say I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am not going to be what you call me. And you have to make that determination. You got to do it. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for a fresh new start, a fresh new beginning. Every day your mercies are new. Every day I can begin again with you. Every day life is new with you. Thank you so much. Thank you every day that I can come to you no matter how many times mess up and, and obtain forgiveness and be restored to you. Thank you for never turning your back on us, for never leaving us, never forsaking us. Thank you for writing in your word who we are. More than a Thank you for telling me what I can do, all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Thank you that you are my strength. You are my help. You are my hope. You are my life. You are my endless supply. You are everything that I need. And for that, Lord God, I give you the praise, thanks, and the glory, and the honor. I bless you for giving me a new identity in you so that no matter what the world say that I am, it doesn't matter unless you say that's what I am. I bless you for it. I thank you for it. I praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries. 